0: Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer and business coach, helping you to live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm Paula, your host. So grateful that you're here. Thank you for your time and attention. It is so valuable and I love having you here with me. So today I have a very special guest, Claire Ragazzino, who is a certified yoga instructor and Ayurvedic practitioner with a background in holistic nutrition and natural cooking. Her work is dedicated to bringing yoga, Ayurveda and nutrition into a modern lifestyle She's also the author of a popular site called Vidya Living and writes and photographs for online and print publications surrounding topics of food, culture, and our relationship to nature. Her first book, Living Ayurveda, which is absolutely gorgeous, I highly recommend it if you don't have it, offers a comprehensive Ayurvedic cookbook and lifestyle guide. And Claire works with clients around the globe and leads immersive workshops and retreats. And I just want to say that this is such a special treat to have Claire on the podcast because I am shocked that we didn't know that we existed. <laughs> Once you'll get into this you'll hear that actually we we have family connections that go way back like her uncle and my dad are really really close and she has been traveling and living all over the country while I was growing up in Oklahoma and I also moved at 13. So we just never crossed paths. And somehow, miraculously, our family members didn't fully understand that we were doing similar things in the Vedic traditions. So anyway, we connected and have just realized that we've been living very similar lives. She's the exact age of my younger sister, and they worked at the same place, which we also discussed in this podcast. But the wonderfulness of this is that I get to share her work with you, which is so multifaceted. She's launching a program right now that's going to take you through seasonal Ayurvedic knowledge and how to implement it in your life. So practical, so beautiful. All the things that she does, she shows up and has such an elegant presentation. And it is such a privilege to have her as one of my clients She's also working on some really exciting things around women's health and fertility and preparing for pregnancy. So get on her list if that's something that interests you and make sure you are following along with her work. Join her year-long program and get this in-depth, beautiful knowledge on Ayurveda. And I will just jump right in here and share with you this conversation. Enjoy. Hi, Claire. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, so good to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. It's really delightful. I feel like even though we haven't known each other that long, listeners don't know this, but like we have this awesome connection from our past. Your uncle is really close with my dad. And it was just super amusing when you first connected with me. I was like, oh my gosh, that last name, Ragazino. I know (laughs) Ragazzinos."
1: I know that threw me for a loop because you don't meet many Okies. (laughs) So I love that we have the Oklahoma connection there and the family connection.
0: Yeah. And so it's even more incredible that we both are interested in these Vedic sciences, you know, and that we have this connection. So I'm really excited to talk to you.
1: Yeah, me too. It's a beautiful way to know that we're all woven together through these common threads of interest, even from now we're both on the East Coast, from Oklahoma to France. We both lived there as well. And I, and we both studied
0: anthropology as well. We did. Lots of overlap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so funny. But would you tell us a little bit about your journey to Ayurveda? I don't even think I know your full story. Like, how did you discover it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have to credit my mom. Because it was my mom who first led me to yoga in the early 90s when I was, gosh, five or six. When she first started practicing, she was in a near-fatal car accident, ironically, in Oklahoma. She worked for the FAA as a aviation inspector. And she was out there training and was in a bad car accident and did years of PT. And one day, one of her PTs said, have you heard of this thing called yoga? This was like 93 and we were living in Phoenix at the time, and there was one woman who was a disciple of Swami Kripalu who was teaching yoga out of her home. And so my mom went and fell in love with it, and over the course of a couple of years became an instructor herself. And so she used to cart me around, you know, as a single mom, cart me around wherever she went, and that included all of her yoga classes, and I would sit in the back and Draw and at the end, tune in for the final om and giggle a little bit. And, and it just kind of started steeping into my life in that way. And in in high school, we'd actually moved to Alaska. I lived in a small island town called Ketchikan. So not, also not a lot of yoga, (laughs) but there was one studio and it was very rootsy, which I love. And, um, I kind of found my way back to my own yoga practice in my teens. There was a woman there who just came back from India. We used to get together and do all the hatha yoga kriyas together, and that was a really special way. I think I started developing my own relationship with it. So yoga kind of became a thread in my life. And through college, I started uh, deepening my ashtanga yoga practice, and I did my first teacher training with Kathy McNames in Vermont, and really immersed not only into asana, but she really brought the eight limbs to life for me. And I fell more deeply in love with it. And through that training, it inspired me to go to Mysore. At a college, I had an anthropology research grant. And I went to India to study the effects of yoga tourism and how yoga tourism was shifting and shaping the way Indians related to how we perceive and practice yoga. And so It was really an excuse for me to go do yoga in my store and hang out for a couple months. And that was really a time that it wasn't like I went to India and everything was magical. And I met my guru and I became an Ayurvedic practitioner. Most paths are kind of more rocky and fraught with some healing crises and things like that. And that was what mine was. I went to India. I was practicing intensive Shanga yoga and came back with a bulging disc in my back was in a ton of pain, super confused at I think 2021. 20, I thought like if I wasn't practicing primary and second series, I wasn't doing yoga. And I was very much living from my head around all my practices, though I had read a lot about Ayurveda and been exposed to it at that point. It was definitely a mind based practice for me. And I was very attached to nutrition, like a how can I extract the most possible nutrients out? What am I eating to optimize for my life? And at that time it was raw foods. Mm, so
0: I did that too. I went yeah. I went through a raw foods phase. When I lived in New York City, I even worked at a raw food restaurant.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, which restaurant?
0: It was called Jub's longevity. It was old school. They were like before the pure food and wine and all those things came up. Mm. They were like one of the first. So it was pretty out there.
1: I was, I went to school in DC and I went up to New York a lot to do yoga and to scope out all the raw food restaurants. I didn't make it there, but I, I probably would have if I'd known about it. I was kind of a raw food fanatic. And in fact, one of the founders of Pure Food and Wine went to Oklahoma and started a raw food culinary academy there. And my extended family was there. So after India, I went to Oklahoma and started working at this raw food culinary academy. It's so funny
0: too, because my little sister also worked there, but you guys were in different places, right? And you didn't ever meet, but you're like the exact same age.
1: (laughs) Such a trip. I (laughs) I love that. We were bound to meet at some point. So I, I did that for a while and I was doing a lot of yoga despite having a lot of pain in my body. I was really struggling with chronic digestive issues and raw foods. You know, the approach I was taking wasn't working. I was eating cashew based desserts and kale salads and imported pineapples in December in the Midwest. And like there couldn't have been anything more seasonally confused and disconnected from what Ayurveda was trying to teach me at that time. And I had a real shift over those years where I started recognizing that I was not embodying really what I was studying. And I share this in my book about a bowl of soup, a pivotal bowl of soup, which helps me recognize how like increases like and how all of my raw foods and intensive practices I was doing in search of healing was creating further imbalance. And so I, um, this bowl of soup in the middle of winter was pure medicine. And in that moment, everything I had read had really come to life in a new way. And I started really devoting myself long story short to embodying Ayurveda, not just this is my body type, this is what I must do, but really how to understand application of this beautiful system to all aspects of my life. And for the last decade now, I've really devoted myself to practicing that and bringing that more into a living, breathing lifestyle to navigate all of the challenges of life. And I think that's the gift of Ayurveda, right? It's the... The ways not that we eat perfectly or have the most perfect yoga practice, but the ways that it can help us be more adaptable in challenging times.
0: Yeah. And I know that like you had a birthday recently and I saw in your stories that you were you had made the soup and you were like, after all the croissants and cake, it's like we don't restrict and don't have those things. We just use the food as a medicine or an antidote to the enjoyment, and and make it like an 80-20 experience or something. Absolutely.
1: I had a teacher that would say, you know, she'd go to these bakeries and eat these beautiful croissants, and she'd say, oh, it's Ayurveda for the bliss factor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just feel the bliss and the love when I do eat this and enjoy this. And that is definitely how I treated my birthday excursion to our bakery here in Boston.
0: Totally. And you and I also have that connection around food just being passionate about it. And you're also a chef. You you have these beautiful recipes in your book. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about why cooking has been so inspirational for you. And, you know, it seems like it's really a creative outlet, would you say? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I guess I could credit my aunt. She started a restaurant. Here's who I know? i in connection again, who <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yes. <laughs> this is so fun. She started a restaurant. It was one of the more progressive vegetarian focused restaurants at the time. And I would fly out there as a kid and work in her kitchen. And I'd, you know, make salads and fire off the glaze on the creme brulee. And just that was my first kitchen exposure. And I would say food wasn't really a foundational aspect of my growing up. Both my parents were pilots. They were busy. I ate Lunchables and go and just. General crap.
0: Me too. <laughs> I guess you could say. <laughs> and, Eat now, and, pay later, right? I, I did many punch of karmas to yeah. reduce the load of all that.
1: <laughs> exactly. And unfortunately, I got the bill pretty soon. You know, by 13, I was having major gastrointestinal issues. I had upper GIs and lower GIs and doctors are like, you're fine. No problem. Keep going on with your life. And there I was. Throwing up in my sleep, or having chronic constipation, and just generally being in pain and in discomfort in my body, and so I I felt very you know hindsight I feel very blessed that I had that experience at a young age because it did set me on this path. Whereas I might have just kept eating Sonic and fast food and been oblivious, but having a sensitive system kind of forced me to look at food in a different way and. Um, at the time where I grew up in Alaska, I, I you can tell I've moved around a lot through the years. And in Alaska, this phase, we lived in the salmon capital of the world. So this is a big fishing town, big fishing culture. And my family started a sustainable seafood restaurant. And that was my next experience in the kitchen. So I grilled salmon over an open smoked Alderwood grill and you know, eat oysters on the beach. It was very much like a what you catch is what you eat experience. And I think that that deepened my appreciation for that level of food and attention to detail. That was kind of through that experience, I did a chef's table tour and all kinds of things because where I grew up was a cruise ship tourist town. So a lot of that catered to that experience. But behind the scenes living in a remote island in Alaska like you don't have a lot of access to produce and you're very acutely aware of supply chain challenges and not having fresh produce because the barge didn't make it because of a storm like you're you can't grow food because the soil is so leached out it was definitely an experience where a lack of taught me a lot of appreciation for what I could have and organics, this is kind of like the beginning of the organics industry. And I go to school with mason jars full of weird tea decoctions, and (laughs) like early GTs, kombuchas. And I just was fascinated with food on many layers and one layer being the health and healing layer. And that's what led me to start to experiment with raw foods and different food based healing approaches. And on another layer, that of you know the gastronomy culture and fine dining and the appreciation of food as an art form and the other layer being accessibility and food security so i i think food it developed is such appreciation and also a recognition of like what a tenuous place we are in the world with all of the layers of food and in college that's what i aimed to study was sustainable agriculture policy and development I just I had the opportunity to work at the UN the Food and Agriculture Organization's uh, agricultural development fund and it was an amazing experience and also taught me how little I knew at that age to go into policy work and how so much policy you would get lost in the bureaucracy itself so I I found myself hosting little dinner parties and starting to photograph my food and start a little food blog. And it was just a creative outlet to be able to share what I cared about on a more intimate, quote unquote, grassroots level, you know, and it was kind of early food blog days. And
0: absolutely. Yeah. And there's another overlap because I started a a website called Civil Eats and and was very involved in trying to inform people about what was wrong with the food system <laughs> and also telling stories of what was going right and how things were changing and realized that I too needed to work on myself first and that was what set me on my trajectory and sent me to India eventually was you know I had a long yoga practice and I it was a physical practice it was a mental practice it wasn't internalized food is a is a beautiful conduit <laughs>
1: I love that site. And I'd seen Civil Eats before. So when I found out that you were a part of that, I just thought, what a great connection there.
0: Yeah, it's just so amazing. And I want to make sure we say the name of the book, which is Living Ayurveda. If you guys don't have a copy, I highly recommend it. The recipes are incredible. Just the the photography, the quality of it. It's just such a beautiful book. It's like something you want to have on your coffee table. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the making of the book and... Like what inspired you? What what were you hoping to achieve with the book?
1: Well, first off, thank you. It's definitely been a labor of love. It was about a three-year process from start to publication, which is a bit of a marathon. <laughs> and so I'm so grateful I worked with an incredible team, Shambhala Publications and their imprint Roost Books with my publisher. And I worked with an all-women team. I loved the team I got to work with because there was a lot of creative involvement and collaboration. It really started with this desire to make Ayurveda accessible. I find a lot of books can feel overwhelming if you don't understand Sanskrit or even if you do, it's a lifetime of studies to learn how to embody that in your own life. And so I wanted something that could be kind of a home practice companion, a guide that brought not just food, but also breath and movement and ritual And connection to your changing environment. And so it takes you through the arc of a year of personal practice. The beginning of the book is all about the foundations of Ayurveda, really understanding the language of it and how to apply it to your life and your daily routines. And then since the influence of time, I would say, is the biggest impact on our bodies and minds, one that we pay less attention to. I think we have one speed in our culture and that's like, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm so busy. And so I wanted to find a way to bring that relationship to time and how the book was structured. So it was looking first at daily cycles, you know, the diurnal movements and how that impacts us, looking then at lunar cycles. And so I have kind of lunar wisdom woven in through the different stages of the book, as well as then seasonal cycles and how we move through these different seasons and these seasons of life and how we can get to know ourselves and create greater awareness. Because I think after so much time of trying to heal my body and perfect my diet, like it just became this endless chasing. And it wasn't until I started approaching Ayurveda from an aspect of I'm cultivating awareness about myself, did it become really liberating and get me off of that hamster wheel of, I got to eat all the right foods for my body type, I've got to do, you know, follow these checklists of things and I wanted to create a book that broke that mold a little bit and didn't focus as much on Prakriti, but more about creating a relationship with yourself in the present and being able to look at and identify signs of balance and imbalance and how to have a more playful relationship with food and your body over the course of a year.
0: Wonderful. Well, it is so inspiring. I pull it out and I'm like, what am I going to make? You know, it's just really inspiring. And it's you know if you know anything about astrology you can see that claire has a very strong venus in her chart she has this ability to just create things that are absolutely beautiful you know and they just pull you in so it's it's just wonderful to have that gift to really connect with people through the visual because we're such visual people so yeah i highly recommend getting a copy of the book and you have a program that's kind of allied with it i don't if you want to talk a little bit more about how people can even like bring it into a community setting and expand upon what's in the book? It's one thing to have a beautiful coffee table book or a book that you like to browse through every now and
1: then, but it's another thing to have a community to bring the practice to life and friendship to share what that is like over the course of a year. So last year I launched um, the Living Ayurveda program, which takes each section of the book and brings it to life. So we start, and I'll be running this again this coming year, And we like to start with the foundation. So really breaking down and understanding what the gunas, these qualities look like in our body and mind, taking all of the complexities of the doshas out of it and really distilling it to the elemental foundations of this, of this knowledge and how to apply it in your daily routine, how to apply it in the kitchen, how to apply it on your yoga mat. And from there we go through the seasons. So then how do we change our practices with the adaptations needed to stay in alignment with the seasons. So it's a year-long course. It's four seasons of Ayurvedic learning. And I will be leading live sessions to help bring these practices to life, answer questions, and facilitate a really beautiful community around this. Because I think having a sangha, a satsang around this is what makes it so sweet and so special, being able to know that I've spent time in the Midwest, and it's not always easy to make changes when everyone around you is eating meat and potatoes totally. and drinking <laughs> beer and watching football. <laughs> you know, and there you are trying to, you know, explore meditation and the subtler aspects of things. So just having a group that you can reconnect with every month and learn, I think, makes it a really sustainable pace of learning, but also a really fun way to communicate and explore these practices in a really living,
0: breathing way. It's amazing, and I have to. Great privilege of working with Claire as a client, so I've been inside, and I can tell all of you that it's really, really beautiful what the program she's put together, like if you want to go deeper in Ayurveda and really understand how to integrate this stuff into your life, you couldn't do yourself you know any better than joining this program, which is you know totally affordable and and great fun to join, so I would highly recommend checking it out. Thank
1: you, yeah, so I We'll be opening registration in December and closing it January 15th. So come join us. It's been an experience, incredible experience this past year, getting to know everyone from 30 different states and countries. So it's a really diverse group, lots of different time zones. Um, but it's always a great way to just connect and get to know people.
0: And it's vidyaliving.com, right?
1: Vidyaliving.com is my website. And you'll okay. find... Yeah, links to that. on.
0: We'll on put that site. in the show notes as well. So you can check it out there. I want to kind of dovetail back and talk about because the point of this podcast is really living in your purpose. And, you know, we've seen mm-hmm. how you've moved through these different stages of your life. Would you say there's like one thing that you would offer in like, to somebody who's kind of trying to figure out what is my purpose? They're trying to move through the world. Like, Is there something you've learned from Ayurveda and yoga that you could offer? It's a great question.
1: As cliche as it sounds, it's what sparks the most joy in your life. I was supremely passionate about my own health and how these practices had transformed a lot of suffering in my life. And it felt very genuine and authentic to be able to share that in client spaces, in group programs, retreats, all the containers just kind of built around this one thing of how do we really know ourselves and alleviate that suffering that comes from confusion? And so I think that that was a very organic process for me. This is my 10 year business anniversary this year. And, and I've just looked back at it's come in many different shapes and forms, but the essence of it was what lit me up the most inside. And I think that's my advice to anyone seeking. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Follow what's, really genuinely authentically lighting you up.
0: I am thrilled to share with you an opportunity to get a hold of my handpicked lay low dates for 2022, as well as success dates to help you with launches with signing contracts with making big decisions in your business. If you would like that, it's called the 2022 Astrology Guidebook and it's at my website, weaveyourbliss.com. You'll see it right at the top in the red bar. So get a hold of it, it's $33 and 100% of profits go to an indigenous led environmental organization. So I hope that's a huge help for you. Also, there's a link where you can drop it directly into your Google calendar, meaning it's all there for you. You don't have to do anything and you can plan around those dates. So I hope that's helpful to you. Yeah, and I just wanted to say that you're such a brilliant example of somebody who is ruled by Mars, who has this really strong Mars energy the early experiences with digestive stuff, you know, the intensity of like the raw foods and all that stuff and like purifying the Mars energy. It's such a beautiful thing because it's so hard to do. It really is a hard planet to deal with when, when it's like right there and you have to.
1: <laughs> yeah, it definitely can cause some, some heat, some fire <laughs> in life sometimes, but it's it's a good purifying fire, I'll say.
0: It's true. It's a, You got to refine the fire. <laughs> so I'm curious. I had one professor when I graduated with an anthropology degree, and he told me that I would use my degree for the rest of my life, like every single day. And I found that to be true. And that was really interesting for me because the whole time I was in school, my mother was like, please just go be a lawyer. Again, that's the Mars, you know, the Mars in me. She was recognizing the Mars in me and trying to encourage it. So I'm just wondering what you took away from having an anthropology degree, because I think for me, I could not imagine having studied anything else. It was such a beautiful introduction to like real adulthood, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, anthropology is understanding, understanding how to take your veiled lenses off to see the world more clearly. It's about being an observation, being in a neutral observation, and how to see the world in a different lens and different point of view and a different cultural perspective. And I think we're so enculturated to view ourselves and the world around us and how we were raised from our media, from parental influences and upbringing. There's so many ways to do that. And I think anthropology taught me early on how to recognize that internal bias a little bit more and how to to the best of my abilities. I mean, I, I don't know if you can ever fully <laughs> take them out of your, your self-perception or your perception of others, but to at least have that level of awareness. And so I think when introducing other concepts like yoga and Ayurveda, it requires a lot of self-observation. And I and anthropology fits right into that. That's Yeah, it's a great question. How did it influence you? I'm curious.
0: Well, I always wanted to know if the... Human experience was universal. Like, we're always seeking the same stuff, right? So, like, why are we so disconnected? Why are we, you know, constantly hurting each other? That was my question when I entered mm-hmm. in was just like, I want to go disappear in a culture and like try my best to completely take on the culture and see if I can start to dream in that culture, you know, and just like really feel it from the inside out. That was my longing. And I started in Germany. I mean, that wasn't from anthropology. I did a study abroad program and I had been studying German throughout school. And so I just went to Germany and I was like, what if I just really became fluent in German? Would I be able to understand the German mindset? I think I was a German in a past life. I do think there was something there (laughs) because I, I later ended up in France and I would pose for this artist. His name was Alkis Pirakos and he was an older Greek man who had ended up in France via London and he also spoke German because he had gone to a Nazi school when he was in Greece and he used to speak to me in all four languages because he couldn't remember which language I spoke and the only one I didn't understand was Greek so I would just smile and nod when he spoke Greek <laughs> <laughs> so he told me I had a German soul and I always like took that but I think what ended up happening is I realized that it wasn't so much just disappearing in a culture as it was that there was some resonance somewhere else for me that I do have what Ananda Ma called Kiyal. I think that must be Bengali, but it's sort of like a karmic resonance with a place. And for mm-hmm. me, that place has always been India. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just, it took me a while to figure that out, you know, because I started doing yoga at 18 and it took me about 15 years to really start doing yoga.
1: <laughs> yeah, Exactly.
0: But it felt like I was on that journey. I was studying anthropology and doing yoga. And something was kind of slowly leading me in that direction.
1: Yeah, Maya Tiwari, who I appreciate as a feminine voice in this Ayurveda world, she she talks a lot about just the influences of our ancestral lineage. And I, I love that you can go a place and just feel a deep resonance having never been there. For me, it's Portugal and Hawaii and i later found out that my my maternal lineage is from the azores the little islands off of portugal and they sailed all the way around south america to the hawaiian islands and settled there without you know little did i know until later on and those are two places i feel a deep sense of resonance ah. and and it india being the other so
0: did you feel that about france cuz i also felt that about france I have a push-pull definitely, but there's places in France, like in Brittany, where I just feel like my soul is serene.
1: I went to Nice first. And I would say I resonated with Nice, but I also spent a lot of time right over the border in Italy. And my paternal side is Italian. So for me, as much as I want to say, I mean, I, I spent a summer in Nice. I spent couple stints in Paris, and I always really struggled being there. I just felt so alone, like a a deep level of loneliness and confusion. And I look back and there was so much romance and beauty. And also, it wasn't, I don't think, a familiar place for my soul. Mm -hmm. I'll say that. (laughs) But challenge is always good. You know, it it strengthens you. And I did a, a broad program as well through Sciences Po there when I was studying political science. And it was one of the most challenging six months of my life, I would say, but refining nonetheless.
0: Beautiful. Well, I have some rapid fire questions for you if you're down.
1: Mm-hmm. Bring them on.
0: So one is, what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life?
1: Maybe have like 15 pieces of advice starting to come <laughs> through right now. One great piece of advice there really are no problems in life. I think sometimes we try to find solutions all the time and we're always seeking the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, next thing. And I think the best piece of advice given by my mom, actually, in a very goofy, playful moment was, you know, I'm realizing there really are no problems in life. So I'm trying to approach life a little bit more like that these days of just how can I be in joy for all of the ups and downs and see the beauty of it rather as an opportunity to be present rather than something to fix, a problem to be solved.
0: Yes. And that's a beautiful way to, to talk about relating to Saturn as well, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because being in a body means there's going to be limitation, there's going to be obstacles. So how can we embrace them, you know? Mm-hmm. And ultimately that's Santosha, right? It's like just developing satisfaction no matter what's happening. Mm-hmm. Not always easy. So the second question apropos is like, when you feel anxious, confused or frustrated, what's the first thing you do to ground yourself?
1: I do less. If I'm going to say the other best piece of advice I've ever received is bookend time off around travel. So I've been in a constant state of movement since I was gestating in my mother's womb while she was flying as a pilot. (laughs) You know, I've been just moving, traveling, moving, traveling, some by choice and design, some by not choice and design. And it's created a lot of instability in my life. And so why Ayurveda is so wonderful is it gives you an outline to create some stability and yoga helps you see that larger view. So you have... I think when you have the long view, the little ripples and the waves that cause you to feel destabilized and ungrounded become a little bit more frivolous, less less meaningful. And so for me, that looks like not seeing as many clients, not planning trips. I, I absolutely adore and love traveling, but the beauty of the pandemic is now I don't have as much of a desire to travel. And so those, those. Um, I think Pierre, what, what is his name, Pico Ier, I think says, yeah, we want, it's, how does the quote go? Something like all the horizontal trips have become less meaningful and now the journey within is what matters the most. I think I'm just creating more and more space in my life to experience that and therefore the fluctuations don't feel like Grand Canyons in my
0: life. I just listened to a wonderful interview that he did on behalf of Krista Tippett on being. So you can listen to him talking to Elizabeth Gilbert and he, they talk a lot about that. Like now that we've gone through this whole pandemic, what, what are we feeling now? Like, <laughs> and I how do we relate way. to things? And they were both talking about the beauty of the space just where they are. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about.
1: I think I used to seek geographical solutions to internal problems <laughs> and mm. now, or I shouldn't say problems internal challenges or imbalances however we want to view them and now there is something really satisfying about living a little bit more simply and actually having the genuine yearning and desire for that is a new chapter for me I would say. That I'm yeah. Welcoming.
0: And that's another kind of overlap we have that we didn't even talk about is that you were interested in land and you have your partner's a landscape architect, right? And so you yeah. guys are really interested in regenerating land. So we have that connection as well, because that's the dream that's now happening for me after 20 years of dreaming it.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm so inspired watching you do it. And I know when we get to that stage, I'm going to have so many logistical questions for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm excited. I'm yeah, excited a- for what you guys create.
1: Me too. It's a long dream, long time dream. And we have a vision for a small retreat center and a teaching garden and just space to go inward and see the seasons and cycles of nature and action. I mean, there's to me, there's nothing more exciting than that. And
0: totally. That yeah. When I was moving sound. around, I reached a point where I was like, I actually just want to explore like a small square of this earth. <laughs> and it just happens to be 160 acres. I was thinking two. <laughs> I was, I was going to be okay with two, you know, talk about dream big. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to come visit you guys. Yeah. Anytime. So next question is what is your favorite hot beverage? This is a very big question. Cause I know from your book that you have a lot of them.
1: <laughs> you know, I, last year, my mom gifted me, this silly little kitchen contraption that when I first got it, I was like, oh, not another thing to lug around in my travels. It's called a Nespresso milk foamer. It's like this little thing, you can put your milk in, you foam it, and it's like better than any barista foamed milk you would ever have. It sounds so simple. It brings me so much joy in my life. In fact, I travel with it. I'll probably travel with it in my suitcase when I come to see you. (laughs) And recently, I've given up caffeine, which is a big shift for me because I love tea and tea ceremony. And I'm finding it aggravating all that Mars heat <laughs> in my body. So I use my little, my daily drinks now. I use my little milk foamer. I put my herbs in it that I'm taking. Right now I'm doing shatavri and rose and a couple other herbs, licorice and things like this for digestion and reproductive support, and I mix them all up with a little maple syrup in my fresh milk, and I drink this hot, foamy, herbal milk elixir.
0: Beautiful.
1: It's been great. I
0: love it. You're making me want to get one. I have one of those hand things that I did travel all over the world with to make my (laughs) fatty coffee, you know? Is that your go-to hot drink? (laughs) I don't... I have not on coffee right now because I'm afflicted by the nodes, as some of the people listening may know. So I'm definitely like drawing it in. Like all the things that can aggravate vata are out right now.
1: Well, in the spring section of my book, I have a dandelion cappuccino and it uses dandy blend, which is chicory, dandelion, a little cinnamon and some foamed milk. And it's definitely satisfying that need for me too.
0: I will check that out. So this is another food related question. What would be your last meal on earth? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big one.
1: (laughs) That is a big one. Wow. Honestly, this is so silly, but if you slow roasted a sweet potato for like two hours in the oven till it's all caramelized and you know, just sweet and like candied sugar is what it tastes like to me. And you put a little bit of butter, not ghee, but like actual butter on it. <laughs> that's all I'd want. I, I mean, you're going it. out. Like,
0: you don't. this is the <laughs> thing people always are like, well, should I eat the really naughty thing or like the light <laughs> thing so that my my mind is on God <laughs> or whatever? It's <laughs> like, I'm like, just have the chocolate cake. It's okay.
1: I'm going to have to say a slow roasted sweet potato with some really rich fatty butter.
0: Excellent. I love that. That's it. So I'm guessing you have a morning routine. So what part of it, if any, is non-negotiable for you?
1: Yeah, I do have a morning routine. It is not necessarily timed by the hour by hour clock we go by. On a good stretch, I like to wake with the sun. On an East Coast stretch, I'm waking a little bit later than I'd like to. But I go in and I scrape my tongue first thing and then I put a little daily swish. I love Banyan's little daily swish oil pull and I swish that around my mouth and I warm my oil and hot water and get that going. And then I do sometimes a short to a longer avianga and I'll take a shower. I like to clean. Like my morning routine is cleaning my space, even if it was kind of clean the night before. It's just a nice way for me to kind of digest and drink my morning liquids and clear the space and then I'll do a little yoga practice some days some days I don't always but it's just a nice way to cultivate prana and it doesn't have any hard form anymore and then I'll start my work day and at night before bed I'll usually do a little bit of reading I'll rub some ghee onto the bottoms of my feet and put some rose drops in my very burning tired computer eyes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and those are the things I kind of sandwich my days with those little physical self care. And some mornings I do uh, longer meditation. I recently taken uh, who we both know you introduced me to Shantala's Veda studies course. So I've been bringing more chanting practice back into my days. And that's really nice things that I can kind of put as anchor points throughout my day versus being rigid or strict about them.
0: Another thing I didn't really ask you about, but I know you do work a little bit with women's health and you're, you know, you and I are talking about helping you develop a program around that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about just yoga practice for changing cycles or give us some insight into something that's helpful for you.
1: Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. But it's a large part of my work. I primarily work with women and some men, but mostly women and and on women's health topics, especially pregnancy preparation and fertility. And really you asked it about yoga specifically. And I think what is most missing from our modern day understanding of yoga is how to cultivate and anchor prana into the body and how to understand the different movements of prana. And so for menstrual imbalances, it's a lot of cultivating apana vayu. So this strengthening this downward movement and looking at more restorative practices, and when to do them, you know, how to use different postures and when to avoid certain postures in different times of your cycle. So I do bring that into the work that I'm doing one on one with clients, in addition to herbs and diet and other lifestyle practices. But I think that's the one thing that I've missed so long in my practice because I was so caught up in the physical form of it, that I was missing all the juice that comes from knowing how to work with the subtle body a little bit more and how that influences your cycles. And also knowing how how to manage your energy in a more effective, embodied way. So not always pushing forward, not always needing to be producing having output, having a vigorous practice, having toned abs all the time, you know, and learning how to work with those natural rhythms in our body. That's really what Ayurveda is, right? Is understanding how to work with those natural rhythms in your own life.
0: Yeah, we'll have to have you back on just to talk about that sometime.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this coming year, I'm working on a fertility program, and I'm excited to share more next time when we chat again. But I will be announcing that in the spring. So
0: yeah, so get on, make that. sure you're on her mailing list so that you can learn more about that. It's going to be an exciting offering.
1: Thank you. This has been such a fun chat. I'm, I feel like I know you so much more now. Even I know. <laughs> having have been working together the last few months.
0: Totally. Yeah. I have a couple more questions if you want to. Yes. So, so these are still rapid fire. So tell us about a person who inspires you and why.
1: I am really inspired by Dr. Claudia Welch. Mm. I feel she embodies Ayurveda so well. She has a great sense of humor. When her and Dr. Robert Soda teach together, it's hilarious. (laughs) They have some really great moments. And she really inspires me to accept and appreciate the beauty of where I am at
0: this stage of life. Beautiful. I just
1: realized rapid fire means slow answers. So I'll work
0: out (laughs) short answers. (laughs) No, you can go as little or as long as you need to. (laughs) I just called them rapid fires for fun. But some people talk and talk. This can be the longest part sometimes. Okay. So something that people might not know about you.
1: I used to work in the electronic music industry. I started as a Uh, the girl at the door with the clipboard who let you in the club Uh (laughs) went really deep into like the techno world for a while. So that was a conflicting part of my life to wake up and want to do a yoga practice at 5am. Yeah. (laughs) I was out dancing and feeling the deep beats all
0: night. I was out waitressing until two in the morning in New York city. So I feel you. I was like, (laughs) I cannot get up and do a yoga practice in the morning. What are you reading right now? Are there any books you would recommend?
1: I am reading. I'm, I, I'm one of those people that has like eight books next to their bedside. And Me I took through a couple of them. I am reading a book right now on menstrual wisdom called Ritu Vidya. I'm also reading um, a book that I gifted my partner. It's called Low Tech. And it's by Julia Watson. It's about kind of low tech systems of land management and design. Super beautiful. I feel like anybody can read it. You don't have to be a designer to read it. But if you appreciate good design, it's also a great book. And I'm also reading um, a book by an Ayurvedic author called Atreya. It's called Ayurvedic Healing for Women. And I've always appreciated his books because he really presents the wisdom of the Vedas in a very approachable way. Like he's kind of like a lesser lesser known author, but a great author. He has a couple books, like Practical Ayurveda. He also has a book for those who love herbs on Dravyaguna and Understanding Herbs for Westerners through the Ayurvedic lens. So yeah, we'll th-
0: put those in the show notes so people can check them out. And I know you mentioned your milk frother, but is there the last question? Is what is one thing that's bringing you joy right now? So maybe something <laughs> else. <laughs> Honestly,
1: I just moved to Boston. We're only here for a short time period, but I'm really enjoying exploring a new city and going out at the end of a day and just kind of getting lost and wandering around and trying new bakeries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm making up for all my roving years. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate.
0: And I went to college in Boston. So I feel like I'm due for a visit because I literally haven't been back since... I graduated, I think. Maybe I went back the next year. So it's been almost 20 years since I've been there. And now I live like three hours away. So maybe I'll pop down and we can go to a bakery.
1: We can eat croissants and (laughs) wander the city together.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you for your time today. Like I said, we'll share everything in the show notes and you guys can check out the Living Ayurveda program.
1: Thanks, Paula. It's been really fun to get to know you more and to share our love for all things food and Vedic wisdom.
0: I'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantula-Desma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day, and we will connect soon on a future episode.